This is where the birth of Jesus was foretold in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. For she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born shall be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and in this is the sixth month with which her is, who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And then in those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt, leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who, who believed that there would be a fulfillment that was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon us, the humble estate of his servant. For behold... From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained there with her for about three months and returned to her home. Now, the time has come for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he should be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, because he could not speak. And on the tablet he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open, and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came to all their neighbors, and all these things were talked through in the whole hill country of Judea. 
And all who heard them were laid up in, in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord is with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying this, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and of the hands of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant to us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, speaking of John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. So Zechariah has this prophecy um, concerning Jesus. Zechariah being John the Baptist's dad, being Elizabeth's husband, he has this prophecy, this, this word from God through the Holy Spirit where he speaks out. And it's incredible because as Zechariah is prophesying about what Jesus will be, he is revealing a few things of what will be seen. What will be seen out of this Christ. And what will be seen is promises unfolding. A promise that was made to Abraham, oh Father Abraham, way back in the early of Genesis chapter 12 and 15. Promises made to Abraham were now beginning to unfold and Zechariah is having this, a word from the Lord to, to say, this coming Jesus, this is, this is him. He is the one who will fulfill all of this word unfolding the, the promise that is unfolding is now seen in this child to come jesus and so first he says that in verse 68 of what i read it said blessed is the lord god of israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and in psalm 111 verse 9 it's anticipating this visit from the Redeemer, the Redeemer, the one to save his people, the one to uh, rescue his people was not to do so at a distance. He, he wasn't just going to remain far off as a God who did not come near, but instead he was anticipated as one who would come and come close, that God himself would be with his people. And in Psalm 111, it says he sent redemption to his people and he commanded his covenant forever forever. Holy and awesome is his name. He sent redemption. It wasn't that he just enacted redemption. He didn't just redeem his people from afar. He didn't just sweep things under the rug and say, ah, for some of you people, you're okay. He came. He visited his people. So Zechariah is speaking this. He doesn't even know what he's speaking. But he says, he has visited and redeemed his people. He is he has made right what was broken, that the chasm that was between these people and this God has now been sorted out, has now been fixed, has now been redeemed. He further says in verse 69, And God has raised up a horn of salvation 
for us from the house of his servant David. It was always anticipated that the Messiah, the one who was to save his people, would come from the line of David. Because to David was this promise that was to yet be unfolding of a kingdom that would have no end. Of a king in his lineage that somehow would establish a throne that would never, ever end. And as David um, one day died, and then his son would one day die, and, and the kingdom would be taken away from their lineage for a time, it was always wondered, how can this promise to David ever be fulfilled? How can it ever be seen and unfold? Well, here, Zechariah is, is again, from the Lord, declaring what is to be true of Christ. He's raised up this horn of salvation from the house of his servant David, and he is, in fact, the, the horn of, the, the message of, the, the reality of salvation who has come. It is a promise of God unfolding. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, way before Christ had come, this was written. For when your time comes and you will rest with your ancestors, speaking to David, I will, God speaking, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body, in your family lineage is what he's saying, and I will establish his kingdom. And he is one who will build a house for my name, not his own name, not his own agenda, but God's name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This was the promise set to David that was yet to be seen. Year after year, millennium would go by and they're wondering, where is this established throne, this, this kingdom forever? But Zechariah, again, from the Lord is showing, he is, he is exposing what is to be seen of the promise unfolding. Not only the fulfillment to the promise of Abraham, not only the fulfillment of the promise to David, but he, he himself, in his prophecy, Zechariah says in verse 70, and he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. He's saying, all the old prophets have spoken of this coming one, this child that is in the womb of Mary at this time. They've all spoken of him. All these holy prophets, the ones who have been proven to speak from God, they've spoken of him. And it says in verse 71, they've spoken that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. That Psalm 106 verse 10 anticipates that, that God, it says, God saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. Well, the greatest enemy towards us is our sinfulness. It is not someone outside of us as they may have anticipated, a, a nation who was against them. Instead, it was the sin that separated them from God, the greatest enemy that we all have. And yet, God would save, God would rescue, God would redeem from that enemy. He would guard from that enemy. He carries on in his prophecy, Zechariah does, it says, and he is to come to show mercy that was promised to our fathers. And he came to remember his holy covenant, the promises he made to his people that I will be their God and they will be my people and I will be with them forever. He is coming to unfold and expose those promises. It says the oath that he swore to Abraham, he's going to grant it to us. That we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. 
The only way to be able to serve God without fear is if our sin is removed. Is if the weight of our guilt and our shame before God is taken away. That is the only way to be able to serve God without fear. Because God is a holy God, and so if we have any sin in our hearts, there is fear. There is trembling. There is, it is terror to stand before a holy God. But yet, we are to serve him without fear because of this one who was coming, this Christ, who would take away that fear. How did he do it? How did he then allow us to walk without fear before the holiness of God? To stand before the God who made us, who says, be holy, and we're not. How can we stand before him without fear and trembling? It's if our sin record had been taken by his son Christ. So we can stand without fear. As Hebrews says, we can approach the throne of grace and find mercy because of Jesus. We can call him Abba, Father. We can have an intimate relationship with God without fear. Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Any condemnation towards us, any fear that we ought to have is removed because of the forgiveness of sins that we have in Christ. Verse 75, he says, not only do we serve him without fear, but we do so in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And if you read that and you go, well, that's never me. I'm not going to serve him in holiness. I can't. And righteousness does not describe my yesterday. It would be then a fear-inducing life to say, well, that, that can never be me. And it's only robbing us of joy, not giving it. But instead, because of this promise unfolding, it, it revealed to us that God, who is holy, has come. And, and in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He who knew no sin, he became sin for us. There was this great exchange so that we might become the righteousness of God. This righteousness, this holiness, this purity of God, the record of Jesus, might be counted to us. That we might stand before the judge and he sees perfection. That's what makes it so astounding what has happened for those who have come to faith in Christ. We stand without fear before God, even though we should. We stand as holy, even though we are unholy. We stand as righteous, even though we are unrighteous, down to the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts. But this is what Christ has come, and we see it in him, these promises unfolding, the nearness of God who is visiting his people. The redemption of God's people being brought back into right place with God because not what we have accomplished or can, because of what he has accomplished. We see salvation has come. We see that we are saved from the earthly trials and ultimately the sin in our hearts. We are recipients of mercy. We are partakers in a new covenant with God. And that produces in us freedom of fear. To be able to serve him in holiness and righteousness all our days because of who Christ is and what he has become for us. Our great exchange. Him instead of us. And we instead of he. What a great privilege and an honor to stand as those who would entrust our lives to him. This is the one who has come and what do we do with him? That's the whole 
idea of week after week after week. That is the idea of the entirety of Scripture. This Messiah held out, whether it's the anticipation or the looking back in truth and saying, well, what is it I do with him? Do I just say, well, that's nice, and I hope that can somehow mean something to me? Or do I wholeheartedly surrender, acknowledging my unholiness, my unworthiness, the fear that I have before God, and come and say, be mine. Christ has come so he might be near to us. He might be offered for us, to us, so that he says to all of us, come, all you who are heavy laden with that fear and that burden, come and find rest, eternal rest, find joy forevermore as you see what has unfolded in me. Let's then, at Christmas, especially as we, as we think about him coming to this earth, to stand on our behalf, to be one with us, to, to restore our relationships, to show us mercy, let us remember, especially at this season, the, the openness and the welcome of his message to us, to all of us, to come as we are, broken and filthy, and be made new because of all that he has done and will do. And then we get to live a life without fear before the holiness of God. Let me pray for us. Oh God, you are holy. You are perfect in every way. And you are righteous and you expect perfection for, for entrance to heaven, which you have made and you are there. And God, none of us are worthy. If we consider our own hearts, our own lives, our own minds, we are in fear and trembling before you. We are so thankful, though, that Christ has come and he has come near. He has come to fulfill the promise made to Abraham to welcome all the families of the earth. He has come to fulfill the promise of David. There would be a kingdom that would not end. And because his kingdom does not end, we can entrust ourselves to him forever as our king, as our guide, as our leader. But even more than that, he has come to be our redeemer. May we entrust ourselves to him. May we place all of our fear on uh, and our trust, may be transformed to trust in him so that we may live a life that is transformed because of what Christ has come to show us, what Christ has come to be to us and for us. May we be transformed by that truth this Christmas season and all the days of our life as we trust in you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.